Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves. Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and this is the show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true, and uh, that is true, and I'm happy to be here. We've got a kind of a, a fun, interesting, really big pendulum swing of a show for you today. hope you like it. So what we're going to do first, we've got some housekeeping, we'll catch up on some contests and things like that, but then we're going to take a ride down to Boxborough, Massachusetts, and visit the New England Outdoor Expo and find out what happens in an outdoor expo. And after that, we're going to swing from a bunch of like, uh, you know, bunch of fishers and hunters into the world of science. And Doc Martin, our, our resident... Uh, scientist is going to bring us on a journey into finding out um, how the best mathematical models for getting fish to swim in schools with Dr. Ozo. So a really kind of interesting swing of a show today. So I hope you like it. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. A couple of little housekeeping items. First of all, last week's show, I did a uh, presentation at Tin Mountain Conservation Center, and uh, I got some factual problems with my presentation. Thank you to listeners who have uh, listened and pointed out the factual issues. The biggest one is I mentioned in there that there were no fish there are fish that don't have gills, and then I can't back that up. So if you can, let me know. I'd like to be right, but I, I can't find any evidence that I am right. So um, I really like, that's what I love about this show is I love that I can say a thing and be wrong and it's no big deal, and that's how we learn and get better at stuff. So uh, I think I'm wrong, <laughs> but if you, if you know that I'm right, that'd be even be even better. I want to be right, too. Um, so that was fun. If you didn't hear that last week's show, I did a presentation at Tin Mountain Conservation about life under the ice. Got great feedback. I want to rewrite the whole thing and make it uh, just a little bit better every time and, and kind of get to be a better public speaker. And that's why we put it out there, just to get some good feedback from, from you, the listeners. Other things happening is we are having a call-in contest. I love these. We're doing monthly now. We're almost to the point where I can keep them consistently going every month. Um, if you want to call the show, 607-378-FISH and tell us your biggest fishing disaster or fail, uh, then we will uh, send you a Fish Nerds decal. Uh, and then also you'll be entered in a contest to win a Fish Nerds beanie, some, uh, some glass water lead-free fishing lures, and decals, and all kinds of other fishy stuff. So 607-378-FISH to get in on the contest. Tell us your biggest fishing disaster. Do me a solid favor. If you talk you know, at a normal normal pace, slow down just a half a tick while you're leaving this voicemail for us so I can hear what you're saying. And then at the end of your voicemail, take a, a, a little bit of a breath, like a one second pause, and then leave me your mailing address. I will, of course, edit that out, but I will write down your address onto an envelope and mail you a decal just for participating. If you talk too fast, or if you don't leave me zip codes, or street numbers, or your last name, or I'm trying to think of other things, or you talk crazy mumbly, 
I may not be able to get you a decal. If you entered our contest last month and didn't get a decal, drop me a line um, or, re- or just re-enter this contest and you'll, you'll get one. Um, and just slow down just a, just a little bit. Can you tell that's a problem? That's a problem. <laughs> and we'll use it on this show. Um, I, As a, our Fish Nerds policy, I don't um, run a contest until I have at least 10 entries uh, just to make it worth the expenses. So far, I got about seven for this one. So get those in. Maybe I can get into next week so we capture show. Uh, and we're getting on with our show in one second. One more really cool thing is next week, if you're catching the show, you know, now, but on Wednesday, February 5th, we're recording the podcast live at uh, Staples in, um, in Massachusetts. And I just now forgot which uh, <laughs> which Staples I'm going to be recording at. So now you look it up. Somerville, Massachusetts. So if you're there in Somerville, Massachusetts, Wednesday the 5th at 9 a.m., we will be in the house recording the first podcast, recording in their new podcasting studio. I should say they're not paying us to come down. They should. Uh, <laughs> but they're not. They're giving us a $100 gift card, which I will spend on podcasting equipment, maybe new headphones or something. I don't know. Uh, but that'll be a lot of fun. So come say hi to us um, at 9 o'clock, February 5th at Staples in Somerville, Massachusetts. Uh, maybe you, if I see you there, maybe I'll give you a decal or something. I'll have some with me. It'll be a lot of fun. But speaking of fun, let's get on with today's show. So I went down to the New England Outdoor Expo, and the website is neoutdoorexpo.com. Oh, sorry, nefishingexpo.com. And uh, my friend Dan Kenny from uh, Go Fish, Dan, he has a YouTube channel, but he also runs the expo, runs that expo and several others. And I did a quick walk around. I got about, uh, you know, 15 short interviews. I asked everyone the same question I asked for our contest this month, which is tell us your biggest fishing disaster. Edit it all up, put it all together for you. I hope you like it. And it kind of gives you a taste of what happens at these expos. I only had about two hours, so I couldn't get everybody I want to talk to. There's a few people who I just couldn't uh, make time for, and I apologize in advance. But here is New England Fishing Expo. All right, I'm here with Liam Geary from uh, Backwards Graphics. Liam, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Clay? Good. So you make our decals, which I've been sending out like crazy this week because we have a contest going on right now. I actually saw that on your Facebook. You did a very good job of uh, posting that. Thank you. In our contest this month, we're asking everybody, what is their biggest disaster they've ever had while fishing? So I'm asking you the same question. Tell me about the biggest disaster you ever had while fishing. So one time, I ate a really spicy burrito on the ice and I did not have a bucket with me, so I had to drill two holes next to each other, and I, and I had to poop into the lake. You pooped in the ice hole? I pooped in the ice hole. Now, which state was that? I can't tell you that, Clay. Because in some states, that's not legal. I'm pretty sure that's not legal in any state. <laughs> I think in Florida, if you can find ice, you can poop on it. <laughs> Florida, you can do anything. That's right. There's no laws in Florida. Check your headline. Florida man poops in ice hole. Perfect. <laughs> I, my daughter's done that also, so I get it. <laughs> Jay from Crazy Hick Bait Company, crazyhickbaits.com. Hey, Jay, how's it going? How's it going? Going good. So tell me, what is this? Thing? What do you do? What do you I, sell? I hand pour soft plastic baits. They're uh, 100% hand poured by me. Uh, we got varieties of baits. We got large worms up to 16 inches long. We got drop shot baits, and we got your finesse baits as well. Tell me about your ice fishing baits. My ice That's my fishing, favorite. My ice fishing baits, that honestly, have been the best sellers the past couple of years. They're just a little grub, the ball tail, and fish go crazy for them. We've caught 
you know, your typical crappie and perch. And we've caught up to, uh, I believe the biggest fish so far is a 29-inch lake trout. Which is great. Well, people forget that giant fish eat tiny things exactly. in the wintertime. So. Exactly. We caught a um, seven-pound bass on a one thirty-second ounce jig with a, with a maggot on it. So it yep. happens all the time. Nice. All right. So now your website is crazyhickbaits.com, which is great. And so now I want you to tell me your biggest fishing disaster. My biggest fishing disaster. Or fail. Uh, well, my biggest one that I could really stands out to me is what would have been my first five pound bass right up to the boat had my hand about an inch away from his mouth line snaps swims away i think i was 12 and it still bothers me yeah, you, you got like ptsd from <laughs> it yes, wig, you, you look so bad. sad <laughs> it was terrifying well hey thank you so much thank you i'm super excited because i'm back here at the fishing expo and my friend jack is here jack how's it going Good, how are you? Good. So what's your company? Daddy Mac Lures. Yep, Daddy Mac Lures. And you've been a friend of the podcast now since the beginning, since 2013. We've been yep. doing this together, right? Absolutely, yep. every, every year we make time for each other. It's That's great. Right. Yep. And uh, So you're at Daddy Mac Lures. Tell us about your company. So we've been in existence since 2013. We specialize in uh, swim baits, both salt and freshwater. Um, you know, our, our roots are basically a saltwater company, but we've, uh, we've made it into the freshwater market. Yeah. And we catch, I use your lures all the time. We catch oh, yeah. ton of fish on them. Oh, yeah. We do, too. We love them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, and it's daddymaclures.com? Uh, yep, daddymaclures.com. We have the entire, you can buy anything that we have on, on there. Yeah. And we're in several retailers. Yeah, and the, and the swim baits are great because they're like, they're hinged uh, with Kevlar between them and all that. Yep, they have Kevlar. You can put scent in them. It's a fabric-based bait. Yep, they're great. Yeah. And they, they catch fish, which is all that's, that really matters. That's the more important thing, right? Yeah. So I'm asking one of the same question today, Jack. What is your biggest disaster you ever had while fishing? Biggest disaster while fishing. So actually fishing or getting to fishing? Don't care. Okay. So I fell asleep uh, rounding Provincetown at 3 in the morning and ended up on the beach in what? my boat. You fell asleep in your boat. I was driving my boat. You fell asleep around. driving your boat. Because I was tired. I was trying to get to the mooring field so I could hook up to a mooring and go to sleep. And I didn't make it. And I ended up on Wood End. Uh, high and dry. High, what could have been worse? Did you hit any rocks or anything? Uh, no rocks. It's all sand, thankfully. But uh, I don't think I slept for three days after that. I like because it'd be yeah, anxious, right? Adrenaline, yeah. Now, was there alcohol involved? No alcohol. No. Just never, never mix that in fishing. Smart move. Yeah, yeah, Smart yeah. move. A lot of people do mix them, but it's, oh, yeah. they don't go well. So No, it doesn't. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Thanks. All right. I'm here with... Go fish Dan. Dan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Clay. Thanks for stopping by the show. Hey, no problem. So tell us about, you have now three expos going on. Correct. Yep, we're at the New England Fishing Expo now, which is the last weekend in January. And then we have one coming up February 14th through 16th in Messina, New York. And then... I hear that one's an exciting one, by the way. Oh, that one's going to be really good. It's in a great area, a hardcore fishing area of the country. And then in your home state of New Hampshire, we have one at the Hampshire Dome, March 6th through the 8th. So... Yeah, it's it's showtime. Yeah, this is what you've been doing for years. I've been watching your trajectory now for probably since 2011 or 12, yeah. and just seeing the growth of your show. What what is different about your show than other shows? Um, I don't know so much different. I, I really I really take pride in the quality of the vendors, um, having really good companies, big brands, mom and pop brands, uh, really good seminars and. I guess what sets me apart, sadly, is a lot of shows that allow in 
you know, bath fitters, gutters, windows, doors, trinkets, and flea market garbage. And, um, and we don't allow that in our shows. And, and it kind of resonates with the outdoorsman. Right, so not, no, one, no one's taking our card and selling our uh, card, to, our right. addresses to people and all that. So that's oh, yeah, nice. no cruise line people or anything like that. So, um, but, you know, that's just, that just is, has, I guess, a formula that's worked for me. Perfect. All right, so now I'm asking everyone, first of all, website? Anyfishingexpo.com. Anyfishingexpo.com. And everyone's getting the same question today. Tell me your biggest disaster you ever had while fishing. Well, I could say it's happened more than once, I hate to admit it, is uh, not having a plug in your boat, but we've all done that, <laughs> no, yeah. so it's not necessarily a disaster. Uh, well, yeah, but I'm talking about since I was a kid, so you know, you got to forgive me a little bit. That's that's 40-something years of fishing, but um, so biggest disaster was um, taking a special needs kid's fishing and allowing one of them to drive my boat and I described to him exactly where drive forward versus reverse was and we were pulling up on a a rocky shoal and I told him to go in reverse and he got mixed up and put it in drive and not only did he put it in drive but he floored the throttle and before I could grab it we were on shore on rocks and my motor was bouncing off off the ground. That sounds like a good time. <laughs> it was great. My, <laughs> my boat had about $2,000 worth of damage, and um, and the kid just uh, thought he did a bang-up job, and he did. Yeah, he sure did. So were you filming that for your show? No, no. I just was taking... He's a guy from my town. I was just taking him out fishing, but... Have you fished with him again? Yes, I yeah. have. <laughs> I would <Yeah>. not. <laughs> no, I actually have. I actually have. It was, it was a little accident, so I trusted him more than I should have. Yeah, we all make that mistake once in a while. Thanks, all right. Dan. All right, have a good one, Clay. Cool. My name's Chad Meenan from Lake Backrack Lodge. Website? Uh, LakeBackrackLodge.com. What is it? Uh, we, we host fishing trips down in Mexico. We have a beautiful lodge right on the lake, 33,000-acre lake. Uh, it's the best bass fishing you'll ever do in your life. Yeah, these pictures you have here are like these like seven, eight, nine, ten pound bass. Uh, every picture on the slideshow that we're showing here is over ten pounds. Uh, and they've all been caught the, uh, in the last year. I've never caught a fish that big. Uh, we we catch ten pounders every week, if not daily. That's amazing. That's really cool. And so, what I'm asking everyone at the expo here is, what is your biggest uh, fishing disaster or fail you've ever experienced? Oh hell. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so my uncle Scott here is in the booth with me, uh, helping. He's your out. disaster. And uh, <laughs> and I'm telling a story about how I how I clock somebody in the head with a jig, and and as I'm finishing telling the story, I wind up and I clocked him in the head with a jig. Perfect. And uh, it was, he just kind of he's like ow ow, and I'm, you know, making sure I didn't get him with the hook, and as as we're making sure he's okay, he sets the hook and catches a 914. So you helped him. Uh, I like to think so. So now every time you fish together, do you smack them in the head? Yeah, I'm his good luck charm. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, I'm here with Jim at NEPVA, the New England's Paralyzed Veterans Association. And, Jim, what's going on? Well, we're putting on three tournaments a year. We're at the hunting and fishing shows trying to raise funds because we've kept our tournaments free for all attendees. Now, our boat captains donate their expertise, their boat, and their gas, and their time to bring us out for a one-day fishing tournament. We always have a good time. We fish the Charles River out of Newton Yacht Club. We fish Lake Winnipesaukee out of Moultonboro Neck and North Pond out of Rome, Maine. It's been a 20-year journey to get where we are now, but... We take out between 30, 35, sometimes 40 fishermen. 
and it's all volunteer. It's all free for the veteran or the disabled fisherman, and we have one hell of a time doing it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I did it two years ago. I drove the pontoon boat up in uh, Moultonboro, and we had a blast, and I'm, I'm going to do it again this fall, so I'm looking forward to it. Nice. We're looking forward to it. We've always had a good time. We've been very lucky in Winter Pasaki, one of the best fisheries in the Northeast. Yeah. Unless they're with me, we got nothing on my boat. <laughs> so I want to hear about the biggest disaster you've ever experienced while fishing. Well, the biggest disaster was probably uh, a fishing tournament up in Rome, Maine in October when you try to see a bunch of guys in wheelchairs sliding across a frozen dock. We had to chip the ice off the dock to get the people in the boats. <laughs> well, we still made it out. We had hot chicken soup when we got in and uh, still had a great time. Yeah, that's what my experience with, with all the guys at, and, and girls at NEPVA is they always have a good time all the time, which is really great. Well, my motto is if I'm not having a good time, it's my own fault. It usually is. That's great. All right. Is there a website? Yes, you can contact us at the nepva.org and click on the Bass Trail link. And click on the donate button. Exactly. Yeah. And put the uh, Bass Trail in the memo line on your check, please. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Doug Roberts. I'm here with Nico Fishing Baits. We are here with these baits that are more durable than anything else on the market. They float. They're biodisintegratable. If it fish What's biodisintegratable mean? I want to hear that. It's similar to biodegradable, except the lawyers on Wall Street, New York, decided that biodegradable is not an acceptable term. Okay. So it's basically biodegradable. It's safe for the fish to eat. Um, if it does, it'll start to break down the stomach and come out instead of blowing out their gut like other baits. They're toxin-free. Again, they're more durable than anything else out there. We have a large variety of different uh, styles, freshwater, saltwater, fly. So you can reach us at nico.fishing.com or uh, you can find us on Amazon. Perfect. And so nico.fishing.com? nico-fishing.com. Okay, we'll put links up at fishnerds.com so people can just click right on it and go right through. So now I'm asking everyone the same question. What is the, your biggest disaster you ever had while fishing? The uh, biggest disaster I ever had while fishing would probably be when uh, I was with someone and while they were trying to do their cast, uh, hooked onto my line as well as a couple other rods and ended up getting a crankbait stuck to the side of their face and breaking the tips off of two other rods. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, I, uh, I was having a better time than he was. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you were. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Robert Sundstrom with the Odin Lure Company. I make uh, Freya, is the line of top water plugs. They, um, they come with a bait well, so you can inject fish mac, which is made by BioEdge. Um, so they, they have a stink trail behind them, right? That's correct, that's correct. I love how they look, they're beautiful. And you, and you created these? Yes, sir. Yep, uh, they're molded. I get the, I get the uh, molds and then I hand paint all of them. Really great looking. Okay, so now I'm asking everybody, what your, is your biggest disaster you've ever had while fishing? Flipping over in a canoe while I'm setting the hook with a jitterbug. Canoe went right over, everything was gone. Did you catch the fish? No. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. Thank you. And Mike is hot, we're recording. All right, Captain Paul. Yes, sir. Tell me your name, website, business. Give me a pitch. Okay. What do you do? Okay, my, my name is Paul Johnson. I run a charter boat out of Galilee, Rhode Island. 
and uh, run uh, trips uh, mostly during the summer. Uh, we do uh, striped bass, uh, bluefish, uh, scup, sea bass, um, and uh, we catch a lot of fish. Uh, we're actually part of a consortium uh, of 50 boats in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, Rhode Island Party and Charter Boat Association. I'm a member of that group. I'm secretary of that group. Uh, and we, as I say, we represent uh, all these different uh, boats, anywhere from a 21-footer. It'll take one guy out with a fly rod to co-catch uh, Bonita or, or uh, Albacore. I want to do that. People. There we go. So I'll sign you up. And uh, up to, uh, you know, big game fishing with, uh, you know, Sharks and uh, tuna and that kind of thing. Far less tuna than there used to be, but uh, we still do. Some of the boats still do that. You can let tuna have a few years off. Maybe they'll come back. What is? Is there a website for this? Yes, there is. Uh, it's uh, Rhode Island Party and Charter Boat Association. Uh, it's a www.rifishing.com. Perfect. And that uh, puts you in touch with uh, with our web uh, master, and it gives you a listing of all of the boats and uh, kind of a blurb of what they do and all the different boats have their own websites on there so you can go directly uh, from there so to get to any one of these any one of these boats perfect so now the big question i'm asking everyone to take at the expo what is your biggest fishing disaster you've ever experienced biggest fishing disaster golly um about uh, eight years ago i had a, a very good uh, painter um, take my uh, engine out of my boat because I wanted to make it look spiffy. So when you open up and say, oh, what a nice looking it's engine. So and he painted my engine. And um, he got a little frustrated apparently because um, as he was painting it, a little drip of salt water came out of something and kind of messed up his little paint. So he took a uh, piece of um, t-shirt and he stuffed it in the hole so it wouldn't leak anymore so the paint could dry. Now that's all well and good. Unfortunately, he did not take that little piece out when he put the manifold back on and I ended up out there and I burned up a manifold. And nobody could quite figure out what it was. We checked out this and that and the other thing. Um, and finally, a very good mechanic at Rhode Island Engines, looking around, we had the manifold off. That was a second manifold. Uh, he reaches in and he pulls out this wad of uh, t-shirt. So it was a self-inflicted wound uh, that put, put me out of commission for a month or two. That is the largest disaster uh, that I can think of uh, on my uh, on my boat, and uh, I recovered. Yeah, we all do. We all do. Yeah, we do. We're all expensive, by the way. All these disasters cost us so much money. Well, and the other thing, you know, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. So I'm very close to being a genius. <laughs> Perfect. So we end up, uh, you know, trying to. I take very good care of my boat. I'm having some rewiring done now, and uh, sits right in my yard during the off season. And uh, as I say, we have a, a lot of fun. This is uh, basically a retirement business for me. So I did something else for a long time, and now I'm doing what I love and uh, catch a lot of fish and have a good time. All right. Thanks. Captain Paul. Nice meeting you. All right. All right. All right. So I'm here with Bob. Bob, what's your last name? Penica. And what is your company? It's Rod Geeks. The website, same thing? Pardon? Is the website the same? Yes, it is. Rodgeeks.com. All right. Tell me about your hottest rod. Our hottest rod is the RG42. It's a one-piece travel rod that comes with a nice case that holds a tackle tray, pair of pliers, place for your phone, place for your personal effects, and you keep it tight and ready in your car. So when you want to fish, you pull it out, unhook your bait, you're fishing. When you're done, put it all back together, and you're back in your car within two minutes, ready to go. Right, because typically my rods are in my car, I get smashed by my kids' backpacks and lunch and all that stuff. All right, so now I'm asking everyone the same question. Tell me the biggest disaster you've ever had while fishing. 
Um, I, I'm a person that has very proud that I own a rod company. I never break rods. Uh-huh. Biggest disaster I was, I was out in my buddy's 14-foot boat. We were trying to fish like bass pros, and we had rods laying all over the place. We were fishing a shoreline. I got blindsided by a boat weight, S- took a couple steps to keep my balance, and broke four rod tips that day from me stepping on them. That's so gross. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was an expensive wave. Yeah. We've all had expensive days in the water. Thank yes. you so much. Rod Geeks. Thank you. Hello, I'm Tyler Tompkins with Three Brooks Camp. We do black bear hunting. We have a website, huntingbear.ca or threebrookscamp.ca. Um, we basically do five-day bear hunts. We have spring and fall hunts. Basically, you show up to the camp. Everything's included in, from your meals, transportation to and from the woods, guiding service, skinning, um, cutting up the meat, basically anything. And also in Canada, New Brunswick now, we are allowed to shoot two bears per week as well, so that's another plus. And is there plenty of bears? There's plenty of bears. That's why they added, that's, that's the main reason why they added the two bears in, because we're getting overpopulated with bears, so you're pretty much guaranteed to see a bear during the week. And you're talking about bear meat. Most people around here don't talk about bear meat. I'm really interested in this. What is your favorite bear meat recipe? I got two, I got two of them, but I'll go with the one. Actually, you take a little bit of red wine, soak the meat in it overnight, and then cook it on low on the grill the next day, and it will melt right in your mouth. Another one is actually uh, soaking it in milk, milk as well, and then let it sit for a little bit, and then cook it, and it tastes great. I've heard about the milk trick. So now I'm asking everyone the same question, uh, usually a fishing question. Do you fish? I do a little bit of fishing, more just brook trouts and stuff like that around. Well, I want to hear about your biggest fishing disaster, but if you can't think about fish, tell me about your biggest guiding disaster. <laughs> well, fishing, I can tell you, when I was used to be younger, we used to go fishing on beaver ponds and stuff like that. And I used to have one of them telescopic rods, and it kept getting jammed up. All of a sudden, the next thing I know, the rod was broken too, and I was walking back up the hill, and I just left it right there. <laughs> so you littering? <laughs> no, and that was that was near the camp. Yeah. <laughs> on our property, which we have a brook right in front of the house. <laughs> right, and, you, and your website is? It's huntingbear.ca. Canada. Canada. Perfect. Thanks so much. Oh, nice talking to you. Okay. All right, Clay Groves, hanging out here at the. Uh, the outdoor fishing out. What is this place called? This is the New England Fishing Expo outdoor. I can't say it. I've been here too long already. You've been here all day. Oh boy, I'll tell you. Well, I just got done with the seminar, so I can barely talk. So we're gonna have to make this quick. Right. So this is Richard Yvonne from Twin Maple Outdoors. What was your seminar topic? Oh, we did four seasons of Maine, and we did uh, mostly inland fishing. We touched base on some uh, recreations, some hunting, and uh, had a great talk with some folks from all over uh, New England. Perfect. And so your website is TwinMapleOutdoors.com? Yes, sir. TwinMapleOutdoors.com, or you can contact me directly at 207-907-9151, or email at info at TwinMapleOutdoors.com. And what's your, what's your primary, like, product? What's your main your main hustle? Well, I my main gig, uh, I started off smallmouth fishing, so I'm primarily known as a smallmouth fisherman with uh, Jet Boat, G3 Jet. Um, but I've incorporated in, uh, a drift boat for a different type of experience going down the Penobscot. Um, and I also do the West Branch for the salmon, the brook trout. And last year we incorporated a fly-in trip for Arctic char. Okay, I'm, I'm, I want to do that. 
<laughs> it's on a lot of people's bucket list. It's a very uh, special fish. We have 11 waters in Maine. Um, and basically, uh, in the continental U.S., it's the only state in the continental U.S. that has Arctic char. We're at the most southerly range of the char. Right. And, and, and uh, now, tell me, I, was at, I did a lecture last night, a science lecture. Somebody asked me the difference between a char and a trout. So now I'm going to ask you, how are they different? Okay. A char... So brook trout to char, a lake trout to char. That's correct. Right? We have three chars in Maine. Right. We've got the lake trout, we've got the brook trout, and we have the Arctic char, nicknamed blueback. So a trout is just a general term of a trout. A trout is a trout. It can be a rainbow, it can be a brook, it can be a brown. Uh, when, you, when you specify char, you're, that, that's a specifying a, a certain species of trout. Um, and it's very unique because they're a cold water fish. They, they enjoy 40 degree water and uh, we love them. They, they're very good, you know, just a great sport fish. They're good eating uh, and they're, they're indigenous in Maine. Um, and we have one of the largest brook trout fisheries going in the continental U.S. So we're very lucky, fortunate, grateful that we have that. Perfect. And so now the question I'm asking everybody at the expo, and you're my last interview today, so okay. everyone's going to ask the same question. It's tell me about your biggest disaster you've ever had while fishing. Okay. While fishing. I have a good hunting one, but we'll do fishing. <laughs> okay. We make a fishing show. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. Okay. My, uh, my, my greatest disaster... Fortunately, it wasn't really a disaster because it was uh, actually the, the people were very grateful. But I had, um, you know, when you're when you're when you're in a, in a any boat and you're in a rocky river, uh, you're you're subject to hitting a rock at any time. So my standing rule is when the boat's in motion, so I'm not spot locked or I'm not anchored, you need to be sitting down. It's a good rule. Yep. Um, so you know, you take kids out and kids can't sit still very long. Um, they have short attention spans. Um, so unfortunately, this one girl uh, was a little antsy, stood up at the wrong time, hit a rock, went overboard. Yeah, it's going to happen to every captain out there. Um, now, my suggestion to any captain is never leave your ship. Okay, but fortunately, I have a nice spot lock on my boat. Right. For those who don't know, spot lock is spot lock is a GPS controlled uh, trolling motor where you hit a button, it actually draws a circle around the trolling motor and it keeps you in that spot. So if you have current pushing against your boat, you're really not going to budge. It's going to stay right where it is. Uh, so I spot locked it and I actually went into the water very quickly, uh, jumped in, took the girl, brought her up into the boat, parents got her and they were extremely grateful. And I said, you know, all I kept on thinking it could have been my daughter, it's, it's my daughter. Uh, and, and you don't think about it. No. Just it's one of those. It's a snap action thing, and you did the right thing. Well, it had good results. And I'm grateful for that. But uh, typically, you don't want to leave your boat as a captain, and that's the moral of the story. Well, thank you so much. All right, buddy. <laughs> Hi, my name's Cameron with Whisperwood Lodge and Cottages in Belgrade, Maine. Your website? Whisperwoodlodge.com. All right, and you guys do what? We do guiding out of Belgrade, out of our camps. We do a full meal plan, um, American Plan Lodge. We have 11 cabins, rental boats. Uh, we provide guide services to the seven lakes around us. Perfect. Full service. Yep. Full service. Okay, so now I'm asking everyone the same question. What is your biggest disaster you ever had while fishing? Biggest disaster? Yeah. Uh, probably a large northern pike 
flopping around in the boat when a customer does not like that, I guess. I so know. what was their reaction? Um, rushing to the other side of the boat. <laughs> so not too bad. No. I'm like, I'm like waiting for them to get eaten by this fish or something terrible to happen. And you're like, yeah. they were afraid. <laughs> yeah. Yep, they well, were afraid. Perfect. Thank you. No problem. All right. Have a good one. Easy. All right. I'm here with Will <laughs> at Wicked Custom Ice Rods. Will, tell us about your business. So we're a New Hampshire-based business, uh, based out of southern New Hampshire, like I had said. Um, do a lot with ice rods, custom hand-built stuff. Um, also do open water rods, bass rods, inshore salt water stuff. Um, we've been in business for about a year and a half. We've got all sorts of rods here at the show available for purchase. Um, we've got panfish noodle rods. Love noodle rods. Yep, they're awesome. Um, we've got medium light rods. We've got lake trout rods. We've got them all down here. And... Uh, it's a great show, hoping to uh, get rid of some of these. Well, I hope you do, and I hope you make some money. It's a, it's a challenging business you're getting into. It is. Tell me, uh, what's your biggest fishing disaster you've ever experienced? Up on Moosehead Lake last winter, I had a prototype ice rod that was supposed to be getting sent out to Canada, flipped my toe behind sled, and broke the rod into three pieces. Ruined your whole day. Whole day. Room the whole weekend. Perfect. What's your website? It's wickedcustomrodsllc.com. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Yeah. We're hot. Okay. Dwight, tell us, tell us your name. Dwight Dion, pro staff for Indian Hill Ice Traps. Website? Uh, IndianHillIceTraps.com. Yeah, Indian Hill's been out of the game for a couple of years, and I got in here. And I'm, as I'm walking the building, I'm walking people walk out with arms of firewood of ice traps. It was crazy. It's an awesome feeling to have Indian Hill back and just firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it's a, it's a great company. Is it Mike Runs at still? Yes, most definitely. Yeah. So uh, I'm asking everybody, what is your biggest fishing disaster? This is a, to celebrate my disaster. I need to hear about other people's disaster. Biggest fishing disaster. Uh, wind's blowing at 30, and I forgot to uh, clamp down my ice shanty. We took a nice little 40, 50-yard ride. Not too fun. <laughs> but so funny. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Nice to see you. All right, I'm super happy because Dave Perry's here, the Wicked Fisher himself. Dave, how are you? It's been a long time. I'm doing very well. And how have you been? I've been good. I miss you. I'm so happy to come see you today. Yep. Tis the season. We get to see each other once again. <laughs> I know. So uh, what are you plugging today? Today I'm working for Mike and Gail at MGC Fishing and Tackle. And what are they... Well, here we've got a room that's predominantly uh, geared around swim baits, uh, but he's got a shop in Hanover, Mass. that has uh, salt as well. Perfect. And so I'm asking everyone the same question today, Dave. What is, um, what is your biggest fishing disaster you've ever had? My biggest fishing disaster I ever had was when my Toyota RAV4 fell into Lake Champlain. Well, actually, it was just the rear tire, but it did blow out my sway bar, and that ruined my day. So the boat, but it fell through like an ice hole or something? Yep. Someone left an unmarked ice hole. Could have been worse. I know, but he was an ice hole. <laughs> Stupid ice holes. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. All righty. Have a good one. It's hot, so go. Hi, I'm, I'm Thomas Arl. Everybody knows me as Captain Tom O. Um, I presently own the Yankee Fishing Fleet out of Gloucester, Mass. We do all sorts of trips. We do half day, all day, 12-hour trips. We actually have a boat that has 40 bunks down below, and we go for one and two days at a time. Those are very popular. And we'll be starting up April 15th until Thanksgiving next year. Always looking forward to catching a few fish. 
Perfect. Do you have a website? Yes, uh, our website is yankeefleet.com. By all means, check it out. It has all the information on it and all the booking trips. And I've been to Gloucester and seen your boats, so I'm, I'm actually happy to talk to you. I like oh, this. Oh, great. So we're asking everyone the same question today. We're asking everybody, what is your biggest disaster you've ever had while fishing? Biggest disaster? Uh, well, I mean, obviously you deal with a lot of people, and there's a lot of medical issues that go on. Um, we've had heart attacks on the boat and helicopters lifting them off and all that good stuff. Um, other than that, you know, the, the routine breakdowns kind of thing. But uh, fortunately, we haven't had any real disastrous situations. Heart attacks sound pretty terrible. I, that's not as funny as I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, thank you so much for being part of this. My pleasure. Hope to see you guys fishing. All right, and again, thanks, Dan Kenny, for putting on a, a really nice show. We appreciate you letting us in and letting us grab some audio while we were there. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the Fish Nerds Guide Service. That's my business. Go to fishnerds.com to learn how to book your ice fishing adventure. Now we are offered trips as short as two hours or as long as you can stand it, whatever works best for you and your family. We did a uh, birthday party on ice last week. It was two hours long. Vinny and I and my, my kid Sam, uh, Zoe and uh, Vinny's kid uh, Grady ran that show and had such a blast. We were just chasing flags on a tiny pond for two hours. Probably caught eight largemouth bass and about two dozen uh, yellow perch. So it's really good, good kids fishing trip. And I love, I think I could sell a bunch of those. Um, and it was only 200 bucks just to, for that. A lot of fun. If you call... Um, if you call 603-986-4335 or text, that's my phone number, uh, and tell me you heard about it on the Fish Nerds podcast, I will take $25 off your fishing trip. So do it. All right, next. Next, we've got some science stuff. Dr. Ozo and Doc Martin got together uh, to bring us some science. Now, Doc has recorded a whole bunch of these and... Uh, Editing them is, uh, they're very long, and so I've been doing a lot of editing, uh, but they're really good. And I think one of the nice things about, and what I love about the Fish Nerds podcast, is we go the whole route. We'll go from like super stupid to super nerdy, all in one show. And having someone like Doc Martin around will help us take some of the science stuff and understand it better. And the nice thing about understanding the science is if you understand the science of why fish act the way they do or behave the way they do, uh, you can maybe become a better fisher. So that's kind of the fun of this. So this one, I'm going to read you the summary of it because it'll give you some context. Um, but this is from sciencedaily.com. There's a link in the show notes. A team of researchers has identified the best arrangements for fish swimming in schools, formations that are superior in terms of saving energy while also optimizing speed. Its findings, which appear in the Journal of Physical Review X, point to potential new ways to enhance energy-producing technologies. The work conducted by researchers at New York University's current Institute of Mathematical Scientists, yeah, we're doing math, also confirms a long-held belief fish swimming in orderly groups or formations spend less energy and move faster than when swimming alone. So we know that schools save energy, just like when birds fly in uh, information. Animal, just a quote, animals have figured out some interesting tricks that can save energy and move faster, and these behaviors could translate into new energy harvesting Propulsion Devices, says Leif Ristroff, an associate professor at Corrent Institute, one of the paper's co-authors. Our model could inform how to optimize such techniques. Um, using a new type of mathematical model, the team, which also included Michael Shelley, a professor, and 
Anand Ozo, who we're going to hear from today, an assistant professor at the New Jersey Institute of Technology, focused on several arrangements of swimmers to see which were the best in terms of saving energy required to swim and enhancing the speed of swimming in a group. In particular, using computer simulations, they examined how multiple flapping swimmers, I love that phrase, emit vortices or swirling flows and also interact with vortex flows produced by others in the school. So that's kind of a summary. They're going to dive deep on this. It's going to get nerdy. It's going to work your brain out. I hope you love it. And uh, thank you again for so much for listening. Here is Doc Martin and Dr. Ozo. Sure. Um, my name is Anandoza. I'm a assistant professor in the Department of Mathematical Sciences at the New Jersey Institute of Technology, um, which is located in Newark, New Jersey. The research that we're going to talk about is a publication that I found through the uh, site Science Daily, which I produce a lot. Um, and I think the way Science Daily titled it was the best classroom shapes for fish swimming in schools. But I really like your title of your paper much better, um, which was Lattices of Hydrodynamically Interacting Flapping Swimmers. And those flapping swimmers are, I guess, the math or physics speak for fish. That's right. So what sparked this particular research? Um, so I, I guess the, uh, yeah, so it comes about from... Um, really a long-standing puzzle in the scientific community. So I think this has captured the attention of biologists, physicists, and some mathematicians. Um, in the puzzle is why do fish and birds organize into these coherent groups? So I think a lot of us have seen um, either in videos or in real life, um, you get beautiful uh, uh, formations of birds. You can get like, you know, tens of thousands of birds, like starling flocks, um, making, you know, beautiful patterns as they're flocking. Um, and fish schools also, you can you know, generate uh, schools with lots of fish and they're interacting in a very complex way. And it's not clear why they do this or even how they do this. Um, and a lot of work, so a lot of biological, a lot of the biological literature has been focused on looking at social interactions between fish um, and trying to understand whether schooling has a social purpose. Um, but typically the role of the water, so the fluid dynamical effects are typically neglected. Um, so that's really what motivated our work. So we wanted to try to understand whether the fact that you have a bunch of fish each beating their tails and stirring the fluid around them, could that somehow cause them to want to execute this kind of coherent motion? Cool. So you're, you're taking away that biological component and looking purely at just the math and the physics of it. Like maybe this is just beneficial because it makes things easier for them for some reason. Physically. That's absolutely right. So that's, I should, uh, yeah, uh, that's a, that's a great point. So I should uh, emphasize that, uh, you know, the, the truth in some sense probably involves a strong biological component, right? There's probably a strong social component um, that influences schooling behavior, but this is kind of a physics or a math approach where you try to strip the system down into its simplest constituents and just isolate one effect. So the effect that we're isolating here is fluid dynamical effects. Um, and the, basically the work here is studying that. And now that we have some understanding of that, we can now try in future work to build in 
social interactions and other more bio- other more biologically motivated effects that other people have studied. Jorge, do you want to ask a question here? To, oh, sorry for the fans listening. Um, they've met Dr. Ballister before, and so uh, he is my physics advisor, and he's just going to help help me ask the right kind of questions here as like a translator. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that the uh, I love that title about the flapping stones. Uh, <laughs> um, and I also love that it's published in Physics X, Physical Review X. So, um, but for the fans, can we discuss what a lattice is, what's a phalanx, a diamond formation, tetrahedron, that are, uh, it's in your introduction, but it seems to, these arrangements seem to play an important role. Sure, sure. Um, so, um, so basically, yeah, so as the title of the paper suggests, we're looking at orderly formations of, um, of swimmers. So, of course, in the field, things are a lot more complicated and schools don't assume kind of rigid lattice structures, but they're kind of the most, they're they're maybe the easiest thing to study mathematically. So that's what we studied. Um, So a, so I'll start with the one we started with was uh, what we called an inline formation. So that's where you have a line of fish. So um, it's a line arranged in the direction of motion. So basically you have one fish behind the other and they're each fish is separated by some fixed distance. Um, a phalanx is similar, except imagine you rotate that line by 90 degrees. So basically you now have a line of fish, but the line is oriented perpendicular to the direction of motion. So you have like this line, let's say that's oriented vertically, but that's moving horizontally. Um, so rather than having one behind the other, you have one next to the other. So that's sometimes also called a side-by-side formation. Um, what else do we have? So a, a rectangular lattice is I guess what it sounds like. So it's a, imagine you have a, um, you have a bunch of fish. So you have one behind the other and you have, so you have, so you have fish um, uh, in front and back and side by side and arranged as a rectangle. Um, and again, the distances in both directions are fixed. And then the last one that we considered was a diamond formation where it's similar to a rectangle. So it's similar to a rectangular lattice, except you can imagine the, um, the fish behind are kind of shifted by half a wavelength. So um, rather than rather than seeing a rectangle as kind of your basic unit of interaction, it's more of a diamond. And so an infinite line of swimmers, if you imagine a fish swimming and flapping its tail, that line is going in the direction of motion. Yeah? Correct, yes. And so the phalanx, those fish would be flapping, but they would be going perpendicular to the motion of the fluid. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so this is a little, yeah, this is actually a little unintuitive. So in, um, in this model, let's take, uh, uh, just to make this uh, discussion a little simpler for now, let's take a single fish. Okay. Um, and in the model, the, the fish is modeled as a wing that's oscillating in, I'll call it the vertical direction. Okay. Um, And what's a little weird about this is that you can actually have an oscillation in the vertical direction that leads to motion in the horizontal direction. Like a sidewinder scene. What's that now? 
like like a sidewinder snake. They look like they should go forward, but they go to sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You can kind of think of it like that. Um, so this is a little. So this itself actually was a subject of research that I wasn't involved in, but um, I think occurred in the same lab that I was working in, um, maybe about ten years ago. Um, and the idea there, um, yeah, if I can kind of explain it briefly, is that the 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 when the wing oscillates vertically, it sheds uh, what are called vortices. So vortices are essentially little, um, I guess you can think of them as little pockets of fluid where the fluid is rotating, um, rather rapidly. I think in, uh, we would call those eddies in a river. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so when you, uh, when you, when you have a wing that oscillates, um, periodically, so basically it oscillates, you know, up and down, it sheds these vortices and it keeps shedding vortices as it continues the oscillation. And essentially what happens is, the, is that these vortices lead to jets. So the fluid ends up being, despite the fact that the oscillation is still in the vertical direction, you get a fluid jet that develops in the horizontal direction. And it's that jet that causes the wing to move in the horizontal direction. Exactly. So you think of it kind of like, um, kind of like an airplane or, you know, basically it, you're pushing, you're pushing fluid backwards. So you propel forwards. So in the, so in the inline formation, the oscillations are still happening in the vertical direction, but the fish are moving in the horizontal direction and the line is in the horizontal direction. In the phalanx, the oscillations are in the vertical direction. The fish are moving the horizontal direction, but the fish are also arranged in the vertical direction. Really, what um, one of the things you mentioned um, also in your paper was looking at these different formations where these fish are schooling. Um, so how would a field biologist or field mathematician, I love to imagine field mathematicians, that has to be a real thing. <laughs> right. um, and if you're, you know, you're scuba diving or you're snorkeling and you see a school of fish, how would you know if that's something close to one of these formations? Like, what are you looking for biologically? Yeah. So actually, so yeah. So yeah, I should preface this by saying I'm not a field mathematician. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if such a thing exists. Um, it should. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> it's um, so I, I think there is no, maybe there's no clean answer to this um, in the sense that I don't think there's any one way of, figuring out how ordered a formation is. So physicists um, and biologists, I think, have developed various ways of trying to quantify how ordered a formation is. Uh, so, one, so one thing, for example, is you could try to take video data of fish schooling, um, track the positions of, um, of all the fish, and measure the, if you pick a single fish, measure the distances between that fish and its nearest neighbors, um, or let's say all of its neighbors. And you can then ask, and then you do this as time goes on. So these, in reality, these distances will keep changing because the school will, you know, the school will probably keep changing shape. Right. Um, but then you could ask what sorts of distances would I expect if the formation was totally random? Meaning if the fish were just kind of doing whatever they wanted, they didn't even care that, you know, they were in a school. Um, and you could compare that distribution with the distribution you actually see. And that would be a way of quantifying how not random 
the schooling formation is. So um, it's, it's more like um, instead of saying, looking at it saying this is a formation, you can look at it and say, well, this is not a random formation. That's right. So that's one way. Um, then if you want more information about what kind of formation it is, um, the, uh, the school is in, you could look at, again, you take video data of fish schooling, and you could look at, uh, pick a particular fish, look at its nearest neighbors, and you could ask at what angle are these nearest neighbors oriented. Um, so in a rectangular lattice, for example, the, the upstream fish would be directly ahead. So that would be at a 180 degree angle. Um, whereas in a diamond lattice, you would have fish that are a bit ahead, but a bit off to the side. So that would correspond to, let's say, a 45 degree angle. Um, so looking at this kind of angle information would enable you to quantify kind of what type of formation you have. And one of the things in your paper, so we're talking mostly about one-dimensional or two-dimensional formation. Now, we all know that fish don't do one and two dimensions. So I, I know enough to know that working in three dimensions mathematically is really difficult. Right. So is, is that, are you, are you just working up to that or uh, what is the next step? And do you imagine doing something in three dimensions at some point? Yeah, that's a great question. So that, um, that is what I would like to do next. Um, I would like to, cause yeah, like you said, <laughs> we live in a three dimensional world. So it's a, it makes sense to do, makes sense to do things in 3d. Um, so that, that is really what I'd like to do next. So this maybe is a little bit technical, but I'll, um, just because I love this stuff. I'll, Let's do it. I'll subject your listeners to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a, yeah. So I, I should start by saying the conceptual model. So basically our model of fish as wings that oscillate and, you know, stir the fluid around them. That concept can, is not inherently two dimensional. Uh, that can, that can be extended <laughs> pretty easily. Um, the only, I guess one small complication, complication is that right now the motion of the uh, of the wings is sort of simulated in two dimensions i would need to then simulate it in three and i would need to try to understand if there's motion in the third dimension and i would need to keep track of that um but that i think is more of a kind of a you know th that's not really that's more of a um, it's not it's not a major hurdle um the main hurdle which is again a little technical is um so I've, I've given you this story about how wings shed vortices. Um, but really, what I want to know is, what is the force on each of these wings? Because that's what determines whether, you know, that determines how fast the school moves, basically. Um, and to calculate this force, it's a little un unintuitive, but um, it turns out that is much easier to do in two dimensions than in three. Uh, and that's because the machine I use basically is based on complex numbers. So if your listeners remember, there's this weird stuff that comes about when you learn math in high school where um, you introduce this new number system involving complex numbers. But if you remember, the complex numbers are inherently two-dimensional. They live in the plane. There's an X and a Y. And there is no Z. Um, so that's really the hurdle, that because this whole machinery is predicated on using complex numbers, 
it makes it difficult to extend it to three dimensions. I don't know if that made sense, but. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so you really need a new technique somehow. That's right. That's right. So to calculate, to calculate these forces and to really to understand what the fluid is doing, I would need to use a, I would need to use a different technique. Um, there are other techniques out there, um, but that's something I'm working on now. So trying to basically um, incorporate them in. But I, I would say that that's, uh, uh, that's definitely a work in progress and it's not totally clear how that'll work. Just a, a little bit of a different question. Um, if, uh, how much similarity is there between this lattice that you've got set up of fish and some kind of solid state lattice where you've got atoms Ah. Is, is there is it just a superficial similarity or, or is there some kind of uh, uh, deep connection there? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I haven't thought a whole lot about that. Um, I think there are likely, yeah, there are likely some similarities at the level of um, yeah, at the level of uh, so, so one of the things, uh, so one of the things we looked at is um, in this paper is that we would look at a formation, ask how fast this formation would move, and then ask is if if this configuration is stable. Um, so meaning if you kind of poke, if you kind of poke the school, uh, would it just basically disintegrate? Would it turn into a totally different state, or would it you know? be perturbed a bit, and then would it come back to the original state? Um, I think techniques like this are often used when looking at, you know, crystal lattices and stuff. Um, so you're looking at, you know, vibrations of a lattice, um, what types of energies you have, that sort of thing. So I think there are some similarities there, actually, um, at the technical level. Uh, that analogy, though, probably could be explored more, and that's an interesting idea. Um, we, didn't really, we didn't really explore it a whole lot. Um, well, yeah, I was just sort of wondering the the way the technical part of, of your work is there a, is there kind of a sweet spot behind you know the fish find or is it really the analysis really doesn't quite isn't really based on that or is it where the fish really are sort of locked into being a certain you know within so much of a distance of each other uh, is there anything like that or you know what what sort of, what sort of keeps them sort of you know, not too close and not too far from each other. Right, right. So that, that yeah, that's another good good point. So, um, so one of the things that's ongoing um, now. So we have actually another paper on this that was uh, published a few years ago. So yeah, that that's a great that's a great point. That there's something unrealistic about this model in which in that I'm assuming a lattice formation to begin with, um, but that doesn't really answer the question like you asked of why do these why are these distances adopted to begin with? And what, what causes fish to stay at a particular distance from each other? Um, and that actually, so that's, like I said, it's kind of ongoing. So I have a student working on this now. Um, that can be incorporated into this model. It does make things complicated because now you don't know the relative distances between the wings. Um, and what we're finding actually is that these distances do not have to be fixed in time. So really what you could get, you can get kind of complicated schooling states where let's let's take two wings, for example, which is a model for two fish. Um, 
you have two fish that are schooling, but the distance between them is not fixed. They're kind of, you know, they come apart, then they come together, then they come apart, and they kind of keep oscillating around. Um, and this is, again, purely due to fluid dynamical effects. Um, yeah, so these kinds of questions can be addressed. And yeah, I don't have kind of complete answers to that, but that's ongoing now. Um, so one of the things you state in your study that makes it more novel and new and exciting is that you're allowing for these little vortexes to um, decay in strength. So if you, and I can actually imagine that, right? So your fish is swimming along and it's clapping its little fins. It flaps its fins. You get the little swirly vortex eddy thing, and that goes away, right? It doesn't. It doesn't exist forever. Sure. And so that's kind of what your model is taking into account for. Like it makes this little eddy, and then eventually that decays over time, and then it makes another one, and that kind of continues. So, um, super cool that you can do that. But if you could account for like other things we've touched on a, a couple already what would your ideal model take into consideration for knowing how fish school huh yeah there are, let me see there are a number of things so yeah we've mentioned we've mentioned some of them so one is um three-dimensional effects mm -hmm. the other is the fact that in reality fish schools do not look like lattices and really the fish are free to choose their relative positions mm -hmm. um so uh, yeah, that was a question that Jorge asked basically. Um, you make a good observation about the vortex decay. So this actually, so like you said, this is something that's very, kind of, I think it's easy to imagine that when, um, when fish flap their tails, they shed these vortices, but they don't stick around forever. Um, this process actually is not super well understood. Um, so that admittedly is a sort of, um, I think it's kind of a made up part of the model. We just kind of put it in by hand. Um, I think a better model for how exactly these vortices break down um, would be pretty useful. So there has been some work on this in the literature. Um, I just didn't, you know, kind of for the sake of simplicity, I didn't really incorporate um, the full force of that into this model. Um, so sort of understanding how vortices break apart, that would be useful because that presumably is important um, when you're looking at interactions between wings. Um, then I think the main or I don't know about the main, but another thing is that right now my fish is just a wing that's oscillating in the vertical direction. Um, but fish in reality are much more complicated. They have bodies. The bodies are often flexible. Um, so in this work, the wing was rigid, but you know, in reality, the fish's body is kind of bendy. Um, also when the fish flap, you know, they don't just, they don't, you know, flap their entire bodies. They have, you know, they kind of have these undulations and then sometimes they send a wave from their head to their tail. Um, so sort of incorporating more realistic fish-like motion, I think would be, could be quite valuable. Um, this work again was kind of our, you know, kind of the lowest order stab at like the simplest model for what, um, what a fish could be, but. You gotta start somewhere. <laughs> you gotta start somewhere. Exactly. Um, but, you know, incorporating more realistic motion, um, uh, I think could also be really interesting. Very cool. Um, so just a, a couple more questions. I'm going to go a little bit off of the mathematics and physics and ask you some biologists and psychology questions. Sure. So um, a few episodes ago, we interviewed uh, Dr. Jonathan Dalcombe and he wrote the book, What a Fish Knows. And his argument is that uh, fish are sentient feeling beings. 
So do you think that fish know that they are utilizing these different vortices and flow patterns? And what does that mean to you? Huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, it, interesting question. Yeah, I don't, I guess, yeah, I, being a mathematician, I don't spend much of my day thinking about stuff like this. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely, a, it's definitely an interesting question. So, um, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, to, to, I mean, I, I guess this is not a very interesting answer, to be honest, I don't really know. Um, I can tell you so some stuff. So, um, so one recent, um, there's been some work on um, uh, trying to understand how fish sense um, pressure, like pressure differences in a fluid. So basically regions of high pressure versus regions of low pressure. Um, and one recent study found that, so I think it was a collaboration between um, physicists and biologists found that um, the lateral line, so this, um, Basically, it's a, it's a, so to my understanding, it's a set of neurons. It's a dense set of neurons um, that are located on the fish. These, this neuronal structure is kind of optimized in some sense to sense pressure gradients. So in that sense, fish, at least the claim in the paper was that fish have kind of evolved to be very sensitive to, you know, changes in pressure because changes in pressure influence how much effort they need to put in to, um, to swim. Um, so I think, I guess I would stop short of saying they that fish consciously know. Uh, I, I'm not sure that there's a, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just don't know, if, know enough about this. I'm not sure there's cognition in the sense that we're used to thinking about, you know. Well, for example, makes you feel better. Nobody knows. So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, one example that, or one analogy that people like to make with this work is and this phenomenon of drafting. Um, if you're into biking, I'm not really, but, um, you know, if you watch like the Tour de France or something, when you have a bunch of bikers, you know, it's advantageous for one to be behind the other because basically the one behind takes advantage of the fact that the air deflects around the one in the front and it essentially can kind of coast. Um, so the driver, uh, the, the rider in the back doesn't have to put in as much effort. Um, so that's done by humans in kind of a very conscious way and there's strategy involved. Um, I think it's not clear that there's that level of strategy involved with fish, although there might be. Um, but there, there has been work recently. It's it's rather recent. These things are these things are rather difficult to measure. Um, but there's been work recently that suggests that fish do like to take advantage of the advantageous flows generated by their neighbors. Um, so I th I think there might be yeah there might be some level of there might be some level of thinking going on, sort of how conscious it is. That's you know, that's not clear. Very cool. And uh, we are we as the fish nerds we love a good lateral line. So right, <laughs> pretty excited. That, that's great. Yeah. When I in my experience, which is of course biology, not physics related, the lateral line is incredibly important for things like schooling and other stuff. So right, absolutely. Um, Dr. Ballester, do you have any? Any, any last minute questions here? We're gonna. I think we're gonna start wrapping this up. Well, just uh, uh, first of all, uh, as uh, someone that's uh, really more physics and math oriented, uh, are you uh, surprised to be <laughs> invited to a fish focused podcast? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I was definitely surprised, but pleasantly surprised. It's um, I think that's one of the really nice things about um, um, a lot of the type of work that happens in the uh, math and physics community that a lot of it's inherently interdisciplinary. Um, so, sort of getting biologists interested in this sort of thing is that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the whole point of the type of work that we do. Well, all right. Well, um, that's all the questions that I had for you. Do you have uh, any last minute thoughts you'd like to share, or anything? Any research you want to tell the fans to go read, or anything like that? <laughs> um, no, I think I, I'll, I'll just um, yeah, I'll put in a brief plug that the paper that um, the paper that you referenced in the beginning, um, you can look it up online and it's open access. So it's actually um, I think it's free for anyone to view. Uh, so yeah, the paper can be looked at. There are a bunch of, um, there, there are a couple of videos attached to it. So you can watch the videos. There are a couple of pictures also. So, um, and there's a popular summary that's kind of written for um, non-specialists. So, um, so yeah, so I, if you're interested, I'm encouraged, uh, I'm, I would encourage your audience to take a look and I'm always happy to take questions by email or anything like that. Awesome. Well, I will share those links um, with Clay. He's our chief executive fish nerd that does all the website stuff. So he'll put that up uh, along with this episode when it comes out. And then I wanted, I'm gonna, I want to try a joke that is a hybrid biology and math joke. I'm going to go for it. Okay. So <laughs> you're eventually going to apply kind of this flapping swimmers to bird flocks. That's right. Kind of what's in your paper here. That's right. So biologically, birds are just highly derived fish. So have you just considered just deriving your equations? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. That's that, that, that is a good math joke. Uh, good combined math and biology joke. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Oza, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. No problem. It's my pleasure. It's been fun. All right. Thanks, Docs. <laughs> We're back and I'm going to wrap this show up. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Doc Martin, Dr. Ozo, for bringing us all this nerdy stuff. Really want to thank New England Fishing and Outdoor Expo for letting us walk around. I'll just mention some of the people we talked to, Backwoods Graphics, Crazy Hick Bates, Daddy Mac Lores, NewEnglandFishingExpo.com, Lake... Uh, Kara Lodge, NEPVA, Nico Fishing, which by the way, I used their baits the other day, totally great, uh, rifishing.com, Rod Geeks, huntingbear.ca, Twin Maple Outdoors, Whisperwood Lodge, Wicked Custom Rods, LLC, uh, Indian Hill Ice Traps, MGC Tackle, and Yankee Fleet, and of course, uh, Robert Sandstrom, who does not have a website for his baits, so it's not on there. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for being part of the show, and until... Oh, and thank you to Wally Pleasant for our theme song. And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early, spawn often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against current every chance you get. Thanks. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds, it's a podcast.